This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Louis, you've wrote some stuff on eccentrics, and I think a lot of people don't understand the concept of eccentrics, how they're used in training, and especially later on we'll talk about overspeed eccentrics, but if you could uh, explain to us the importance of eccentrics and how they're utilized in training. Well, first of all, the greatest muscle contraction is preceded after an eccentric or a yielding phase. So, uh, yes, I wrote a couple articles, uh, one optimal eccentrics and one overspeed eccentrics. Um, I, I did one with Matt, to prove a point, I did one with Matt Smith, who was a 930-pound squatter. I did this with a professor who did all the calculations, Professor Akita. Uh, Matt did three singles in a squat on a box with 550 pounds. His time under tension eccentrically and concentrically was nine-tenths of a second per eccentric and concentric. Um, we reduced the weight on the bar, added bands, so when Matt stood up, it registered 750 at the top, and with band shrinkage, 550 in the bottom. Matt then proceeded to do squats, and he averaged 5.4 on the eccentric and 5.7 on the concentric. So what we actually did, um, we moved 200 more pounds through the same distance, th three tenths faster. That's a greater force production. How was it done? Overspeed eccentrics, through the stretch reflex. Um, you must understand that bands attached to a bar, the body works like bands, it stretches and contracts. That's why they're perfect. This is called accommodating resistance. You know, as the barbells become close to the top, uh, advantageous joint angles causes one to be much stronger. Uh, so, but by using bands and then because of that, you will basically slow down. Uh, you'll have bar deceleration, but when you use bands on the bar, you have you reduce bar deceleration uh, because you had to push all the way through. So imagine if you could pull 500 pounds on, in a power rack with a pin one, and you raise the bar three inch, you pull 550 on pin two, and you raise the bar three inch, you pull 600 on pin three. Well, uh, well you'd have three separate records, but by using bands, you accomplish the same thing on one pin record. As you pull, the bands accommodate resistance, causing greater muscle force and resistance, and um, so uh, this causes bar acceleration, and that's what we're looking for. So uh, that's how I came up with the one experiment with the cast professor. Secondly, optimal eccentrics. Um, you know, we all know depth jumps work. You're, you're, when you jump off a box, uh, you're falling at the speed of acceleration of gravity near Earth, which is 0.98 meters per second. Everyone knows that. No one's going to argue the fact that Verfashansky, uh, when he came up with depth jumps, uh, they work. Um, so why would anyone lower a, bar, a bar slowly? It makes no sense to me. When you lower bars slowly, eccentrically, all it does is build muscle mass and cause muscle tears. That's what the, you tear the muscle down, it rebuilds, becomes larger. That's why bodybuilders do that. But in sports, you must have a fast reversal speed. Um, I found out by using 40% and doing ballistic benching, and ballistic means dropping the weight, catching it one to three inches off my chest, and exploding back up. I could use 40% uh, of my best. At the time, I could raw bench um, 500 pounds, one inch inside the ring. Um, so when I use this, I use 205 pounds on a bar and 80 pounds of chain. Uh, no bands, I use chain. And we also use some bands in experiments, other experiments. But uh, by dropping and catching the weight, I was easily could do that. That's 40% of 500. Now, Dr. Romanoff had a discussion with me and asked me how I, could, I did this. And I told him, the, I used a Tindo unit to measure. Romanoff said they'd found the same thing in the old Soviet Union. And uh, so that's how I came up with those two methods. And I had 20 850-pound squatters, most top 10 squatters, and I had 10 top 10 benchers and actually three world record holders in the bench in this study. And I found that doing speed work where the bars move at close to 0.8 meters per second um, on, the, on the, the eccentric phase, it equaled the concentric phase, but within one meter uh, one-tenth of a meter per second. And we worked it on speed strength and also Dave Tate and I and a few others, uh, we did it on strength speed where I'd use my circa max weights. I used 485 pounds bar weight and 375 pound band tension. And um, a group of us did that. It remained. Now the bar went from 0.8 meters down to like 4.6 to 5.5, but everyone was basically within one-tenth of a meter per second, eccentric to concentrically. So what does that mean? Faster down, faster up. How, how did you ever come about 
using bands, how would you see the importance of, like when you saw bands, how did you relate them into training? Because what I think a lot of people don't understand is when they see bands and chains and everything nowadays, but they have no idea where it came from. And it all came out of West Side here. But how, what got into your head, I'm going to use bands and they're going to... Well, let's say, let's say the, the positive production of bands and chains that come to just come out of Westside Barbell, Columbus, Ohio. Years ago, supposedly Fred Hatfield did them in the 60s, said he found no advantage of using them. Obviously, Fred did them wrong. You know, Fred is responsible for CAT compensatory acceleration training where you push as hard and as fast throughout the full range of motion. Well, unfortunately, it, it, it's good in theory, but with light weights, it won't work because light weights, um, as you move the barbell very fast at the top, it produces small force. Force production is reduced, but by using bands and chains, it's regained. Um, <clears throat> I came up with chains by a fellow, an old man that called me one time from New York and another from Georgia, actually, and they asked about um, weight releasers, and I told him how weight releasers work, you'd lower it, because I was writing articles for Kowalski with the weight releasers, is you'd lower the weight down, we normally would lower a total of 80%, 60 on the bar, 20 on the weight releasers, down in the bottom quickly, the, the, and we'd have 20% on the weight releasers, and come up with 60, that's how we build explosive strength. Um, he said, oh, that's similar to change, they'd done change years ago. And I said, well, explain, and he said, as you would lower the, the change, the change would connect in the bar, so as you lowered the weight, the change would re, um, unload in the bottom, but reload concentrically. And I said, well, hell, that's like a good idea. So we started using it. Of course, we went way past then. We use as much as 400 pound of chain sometimes, depending on what type of strength we're building, explosive strength, speed strength, or um, slow strength. And strength's measured in velocities. It's not measured in weight. Explosive strength is fast velocity, intermediate strength. Uh, speed strength is intermediate velocity, and strength speed is slow velocity. But then I got a call from Dave Williams at Liberty University, and he said, Lou, you got to try these bands. Um, and I had no idea what he's talking about. So he told me about Dick Hartzell at the time. He only went and was selling bands. And uh, so I, so Dave or um, Dave Tate and I actually went up to Columbus. And we live in Columbus, but um, Hartzell was coming in town for a basketball seminar, and he had the bands. So I went up and I put the bands on my shoulders and squatted them down a few times and said, now I have to have these bands. Um, you know, uh, Dave Williams and Coach of Liberty told me he wanted me to experiment, and he would pay me. I said, well, he had to pay me. I knew nothing about these bands. In 1967, I saw articles by Dr. Medvedev, a Soviet sports scientist and weightlifter, said you must use bands or cords on a barbell. And I, and that sounds good. I'd say, okay, but how? I mean, I, I, well, I can't put bungee, cord, bungee cords on bars that we're using. So then I first I adopted these bands to our barbell training and it changed Westside forever. Change took us up to a level and then bands took us to a supreme level. Um. To the level you're at today, the percentages for Circumax, for uh, speed strength, um, are so accurate, but how did you arrive to those percentages? Was it trial and error, or was it all the way up? Of course it was trial and error, but then we eliminated the error. We have 80 people that have officially squatted at least 800. The lightest ones are 165. Uh, even Laura Phelps at 165 squatted 775 pounds, female. So we did experiments, and we come to conclusion for speed strength, uh, we would use, if you look at the greatest weightlifters in the world, there were 780 cases um, talked about in the management and training of the weightlifter. They would, their 50% of their training for in weightlifting and speed strength sport is 75, 80, and 85. So what we did, I used 50, 55, and 60 with 25% band tension on top for speed strength. That's what we normally do three-week pendulum waves with. We go up 50, 55, and 60 in three weeks, then start back over normally with another bar. <clears throat> um, and you're asking about Circa Max. Uh, there, uh, the band tension, I believe, rolls from about uh, 45 to 38 if I recall, um, and that is n near maximal. Now, for strength speed, uh, slow strength, we use at least 50% band tension, um, and you, you, it's hard, like some of our top squatters, I'll give you two examples. Um, in a circa max phase, A.J. Roberts made 740 pounds of bar weight and 440 pounds of band tension. This is his circa max weight, all right? For strength speed, he used 700 pounds of band. Well, that equates to 1,180 pounds at the top. For strength speed, he used 700 pounds of band, and he made 510 pounds. That comes up to 1,210 pounds. At the following contest, he squatted 1,205 pounds. That's how accurate this is. 
This is as accurate as anything I've ever seen. I can give you case after case after case. And um, so uh, that's how I came up with the bands of uh, different types. So strength, speed strength, you have to use more band tension than barbell weight. As anyone's ever done this, 700 pound of band pays what feels way heavier at the top than 700 pounds of weight. And I think that's a big problem what we see is when people, first of all, they don't know how to attach bands. They do a single loop, they got no tension in the bottom, it flops down. Um, there should always be tension on the band from start to finish, isn't that correct? Yes, great tension in the bottom. Yeah. Uh, you know, a coach, I have a couple fairly high level track females and uh, they were at their particular school and one was attaching bands on the bar and her coach said, we don't use bands here, this isn't Westside Barbell. I would like to ask that coach, why wouldn't you use bands? And you know, if uh, you can't be using 1980 methods in 2015, you owe it to your coaches or your um, students and athletes to use the most up-to-date methods. These are the most up-to-date. I have a female, 18 years old, jumps on a, 50, a 55 inch box. I have an intern that jumped on a 63 and a half. Uh, Westside's known for absolute strength, of course, powerlifting, but we're also also known for explosive strength training. Uh, it's hard to duplicate an 18 year old female jumping on a 55 inch box. Um, and you talked about um, you've got <coughs> you talk about strength, speed, speed, strength, and I think um, for a lot of people out there, they get confused between like speed, strength is another word for dynamic method, um, what we use. But um, can you just explain more strength, speed versus speed, strength, the differences? And Speed strength is acceleration, it's mechanical power. You actually build the highest velocity at the top. And uh, that's much like when you run, you, know, you want to accelerate as long as possible. Or when you want to tackle someone, you want to be going full speed and hitting for the with maximum force. So that is, that is uh, speed strength. Strength speed is the, is the ability to overcome large resistance. And so that, the bar, of course, as resistance grows, velocity slows. As Hill's equation of muscle contraction, it's inverted. Uh, objects in fast velocity produce uh, small force, and objects in slow velocity produce great force. Um, you know, all you have to do is look at javelin theory when it releases the javelin, which just weighs ounces. It produces about 34. It goes, it releases about 34 meters per second. A shot put. Um, about 14 and of course when we do our heavy weights you know you're talking 16 pound shot put now when we're squatting five six or 660 pounds or 720 for some of our uh, 1200 pound squatters they're moving about 0.8 meters per second so as resistance grows velocity slows Hill's equation of muscle contraction and uh, do you probably get John in this too but what actually happens to the body when you put bands on the bar and you go down. Well, I'll let John talk about that too, but uh, and you put bands on a bar, it causes a, a, a stretch reflex. You know, you have a stretch reflex in the body um, and um, the, the greater the ground force, uh, the greater the recoil or deformation. So your body is acting to those bands. You know, everything, if I drop a, a bowling ball and a baseball, they hit the ground at the same time. Of course, that we know that that's science, that's physics. But if I, if I take a rock and I drop a five pound rock and I've got a slingshot shooting a five pound rock down, the slingshot will shoot it, the rock down faster. The stronger eccentric phase, the greater concentric phase. And the stronger the eccentric phase for running, the less ground contact. You'll take a top sprinter, uh, Bolt maybe weighs 225 pounds, and Gay maybe weighs 200 pounds, but they produce, and, uh, and they, but they produce, and Michael Johnson, or uh, Ben Johnson, they produce 1,000 pounds of force on each step. Yet the only way, basically 200 pounds. How? Over speed eccentrics. The greater eccentric speed, the less ground contact. Now, of course, you know, so what makes, if you look at Hussein Bolt um, and, and, uh, and Michael Johnson in the 400, uh, Michael is straight up and down, choppy, didn't look right. Uh, and Bolt is way taller than everybody else. And, uh, but why are they the greatest? And everybody complains because uh, you know, Bolt takes off, he zigzags out of the line, almost crosses the line, he's so powerful. Everybody complains. So how do these two guys with incorrect running form be the strongest men, in, the fastest men in the world from 100 to 400? Because they produce greater force. Uh, that's the whole key to running, greater force production. And again, a greater force production, the less ground contact. If you take, now does this work for long distance? Of course, there's studies 
studies have proved if you can lessen the ground contact in a 5K race by one hundredth of a second per step, you would take 25, there's 2,500 steps in the basic uh, 5K race. You will reduce that time by 25 seconds. That's huge. That's uh, if uh, the problem with coaches in America, they don't understand physics and they don't they don't read, or if they do read, they don't put it into uh, practice. You have to put these things into practice. Um, what in the body is it? The is the energy stored in the muscles, the connective tissue, or what produces um, more kinetic energy with the bands? I want John to get this, but it's it's basically basically the muscle spindles and the and the tendons, and so you have two things going. You have the stretch reflex, and then you have the Goji tendon, which is a governor of those reflexes, so you don't get hurt. Now, Dr. Mel Siff, I did seminars with uh, Mel for super training, and Mel was convinced that I had found a way to override the Goji tendon. By shooting someone down fast enough, you immediately shoot back up. We've taken barbell weights in the gym. At times, you probably experienced this, uh, and, and so have you, John. You take a heavy weight, and you've seen it or you've done it. You take a heavy weight in the bottom, and you got nothing to take it. You've, you've seen this over and over. But I've never seen a person with heavy bands go down to at least then start to go back up because you have an opposite and equal effect. That's Newton's law. And that's the law of deformation. Um, again, the greater deformation, um, it's opposite and equal. If you take a ball and you, you see tire, tires on TV and programs, you know how they flatten out, but they come back. If you take a ball and you drop it and it bounces, um, now this is why you can uh, prove overspeed a century. If I drop a basketball right here, it bounces up to here. If I throw it down, it bounces over my head. How? The elasticity of that ball. That elasticity of that ball is also works in the body, in the, in the muscle spindles and the, and the tendons. And so if I throw that ball down, a slow motion camera, as it hits, it will flatten out. The more I flatten it out, the greater it will respond and bounce back up. That's deformation, and that happens when uh, like track people run. And why do we box squat? Because not only do we have it in the feet, but we also have the area of a box to set on in our hamstrings and glutes. We have greater mass for deformation. That's why box squats work. Anyone says box squats don't work, they're crazy. Because we have the greatest squatters in the world, the greatest female squatter of all time, Chuck Vogelpohl squat, 1180 to 264, the greatest male squat pound for pound of all time. And Dave Hoff in our gym took over and did 1210 at 271. Uh, closed. Discussion closed. Box squats are the greatest. That's how we get 55-inch box, box jumps by an 18-year-old girl. John, do you, do you want to go into the physiology behind um, how eccentrics, how arm bands work on ligaments, tendons, and muscles? Yeah, so <clears throat> I do uh, neuromuscular therapy and active release technique. So um, how I kind of come into the equation, I guess, is I, have, I treat Louie and I treat some of the west side lifters, uh, but it's not just limited. Two west side lifters. Uh, I have a background in bodybuilding, so I treat a lot of bodybuilders. And kind of what I've found out over the past three years of working in conjunction with both high-level bodybuilders, high-level powerlifters, is uh, the bodybuilders, they're generally going to complain of tendon connective tissue type injuries, whereas the powerlifters, and when I talk about powerlifters, I'm talking only about west side powerlifters because that's generally the only powerlifters that I, I treat. Uh, it's more of a muscular type issue. So you have uh, basically two people kind of doing the same thing where they're doing resistance training. Uh, I think the difference is, you know, with bodybuilding, like Louie touched on earlier, you know, as a bodybuilder, you're really trying to control the weight and control the eccentric. So you're doing more tempoed reps, trying to really create tension into the muscle. And so therefore the muscle hypertrophies uh, but what happens is you're not really training the connective tissue, which is a different type of tissue. And so what happens is these bodybuilders have really big muscles, but they don't have the, the same relationship when it comes to tendons as far as strength, size, etc. I think at West Side, what you have is you have guys that have huge tendons, but what's going to happen is kind of opposite. The muscle is going to not hypertrophy as fast because the objective really isn't hypertrophy, it's more functional hypertrophy, but strength is the overall goal. So uh, kind of, I think, what, probably like in the summertime, I asked Louie about, uh, I assumed it was the bands were doing it because I don't know very many bodybuilders that train with bands or 
do any of the speed type training and uh, me being kind of ignorant to the sport of powerlifting, I just assumed it was the bands, but that's when, uh, after we talked about it, Louis said it's the overspeed eccentrics. So uh, I went on the internet and Googled it. The only information that I could find was the article that he already referenced on uh, overspeed eccentrics. Um, and that's kind of when I came to the conclusion that I'm pretty sure what's happening is um, there's um, because that in conjunction with also super training, when Mel Siff wrote that um, you're only, uh, a chain is only as strong as its weakest length and for a training program to be good, it has to take into that weakest length. And they said that, hyper, that connective tissue hypertrophy is three to four times slower. However, at the time they weren't doing overspeed eccentrics and they didn't have bands. So that's when I kind of called that into question. What I did was uh, work with a top pro level bodybuilder uh, Justin Compton, and he was having tendonitis issues in his elbow tendon. And so what I did was I recommended that he did something that Louis recommends the guys here do, and it's basically overspeed eccentrics uh, for the elbow joint. Well, he sent me a text probably uh, a week later, and he's like, I don't have this issue with my elbow anymore. Why is that? And I think the reason why, in my opinion, is because he has these huge muscles, but his tendons weren't at the same rate. So I kind of compare it to a car. Uh, what happens is if you have big muscles, that's like having a big engine, but regular tires, right? Because the tires are the connective tissue. So what happens in the case of Justin, for instance, is he has this huge motor. Let's say he has this huge tricep. So he's able to do a lot of force output, but it's on regular, it's on regular tires. So it's gonna burn those tires up. And the road is the bone and the tire is the connective tissue. And I think the opposite kind of happens here where uh, they have such big connective tissue and in powerlifting, like Louis said, it's all about loading that stretch reflex and then recoiling it. So the, the, the bigger and stronger the connective tissue is, the bigger uh, deformation you have, the bigger reformation you have, the stronger you are. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got into it is I was just curious as to why these injuries don't occur at West Side, but why they occur in bodybuilding and uh, that's when he explained to me it's the overspeed eccentrics, it's not actually the bands. The bands create the environment for the overspeed eccentrics, but it's the overspeed eccentrics that is hypertrophying the connective tissue, <coughs> which makes total sense to me. You know, and overspeed eccentrics as jumping off a box and dip jumps or what we do with all the bands on the super overspeed eccentrics, it causes uh, that deformation can cause a muscle tension twice that of your isometric strength. And isometric strength is how absolute strength is measured by pulling on a static bar with a meter that determines how hard you're pulling. So it shows you how violent the bands can be. Uh, or depth jumps, that's why depth jumps can be dangerous. You know, you it can produce twice your maximal isometric strength potential so they can be dangerous uh, these don't seem to be dead but what we do to counteract like you're talking about where we have muscle problems we have people do at least 300 pushdowns a week for the muscle and also building ligaments tendons lightweights also as many as um, we do 200 leg curls a day so what we're doing we're, as we're building muscle we're also thickening the ligaments and tendons as well so we combat injury everyone thinks what side is you know uh, maybe you know two in the squat and three in the bench and one in the deadlifts. Well, we have to address all issues. If you don't have a base, you'll, uh, a pyramid is always tall as its base. We have to have a wide base. So we do ultra high repetitions and very light exercises as well. And 80% um, of our training is based on spatial exercise, not with a barbell. Squat, bench, and deadlift only con constitutes 20% of our training. All spatial exercises like hamstring curls are of all types, standing, inverse curl, uh, glute ham raise, reverse hypers, uh, band curls, ankle weight curls. So we do tons and we rotate all the time. To adapt to training is never to fully adapt. So we constantly adapt. The body has to adapt along with it and it so it gets better and better. Yeah, I think the other thing too is you brought up Zartorsky and Zartorsky says in the biomechanics of skeletal muscle tissue, which is his textbook from Penn State, that tendons and ligaments are made up of elastic components. And if we look at what elastic components do outside of the body, we can see that if I have a bouncy ball and I throw it down, right, the bouncy ball doesn't have any muscle, it doesn't have a central nervous system, right? But when I throw it down, it bounces back up. If I throw it down harder, it bounces even higher, right? So that's where we can kind of see the physics of it. 
uh, and why the connective tissue is so important for not just powerlifting, but also for running any type of explosive stuff. And then we know also that the, the bigger that ball is, the more that I can throw it down, right? And that's all sports is, is the ability to be able to load a system and then to be able to explode it. So if we can better load the system, then we know that we're actually creating a functional strength because that's how the body will function in athletics and pretty much powerlifting. Everything's based on reversal strength, in my opinion. Reversal strength is a wind-up to throw a football or a baseball. Uh, reversal strength is the approach to kick a ball. So everything has reversal strength. And that's the, it's the key to all sports. So build strong reversal strength, and you'll, you'll have a better athlete. Right, because if you go to kick a ball, you go back before you go forward, but the intent is to go forward, right? And then we know that if the tissue's big, if, the, if we can load that tissue as much as we can, like in a kick for like martial arts, if they can load that system, then it's gonna come back a lot, it's gonna produce a lot greater force. So I think that's where the bands really create hypertrophying that connective tissue. Do, do you think using bands in training will help um, reduce the negative effects with the Galgai tendon? Like it'll inhibit it more? Well, Mel wanted to prove that I, he felt that what I was doing, we could override the Goji tendon. Because the harder, like I said a while ago, the harder we would go, we never got stuck in the bottom. We would always reverse ourselves and start up. And see, see, and I think that that would be just the elastic property. Because right? it's opposite and equal effect. And so you are overriding it because yes. that, that elastic tissue is being loaded, so it's going to come back, right? But it just, and, and that's where I think the central nervous system plays a role in where it knows what's going on. It has the... The, the connective tissue is giving it feedback, but the connective tissue is just reacting because it's elastic. You, you said a moment ago when you threw the ball, the ball doesn't have a brain or a central nervous system, but it's reacted by the velocity of the ball when you throw it down at whatever velocity it may be. The same thing with the human body. The body has to respond to the amount of bands that we put on the bar. If we use a small amount of weight, an amazing amount of band, it will shoot you down like a hurricane and your body will respond and jump back up, exactly like a ball does. Right. The band is causing the body to do something. If you don't use the bands, the body will not go through this extreme exchange of energy from eccentric to concentric. That's why all coaches must learn you must use bands. Right, and then you get a figure too, right? If we can give the body a different input, it's gonna produce a different output. So, right, the bands are giving the body a bigger input. Anyone that's used bands know that if someone, if you're in a bench press, someone hands you a bar, you're not gonna do it like it doesn't have the bands on it, right? So you're going to be a lot more alert, and so you're getting a different output already because it's turning your central nervous system on. Right. But what's going to happen regardless is when that bar comes back, when that bar comes down, it's come down at a faster speed. And before your central nervous system really knows what's going on, it's already going to have that recoil effect from those elastic properties being deformed at a significantly faster and harder rate. Exactly. That's why plyometric action is under two tenths of a second. We're doing basically good power metrics, but it still lasts because the stretch reflex in the body will last two seconds in almost anyone and four in an athlete. I did a test here at a Westside Barbell, Dave Tate and, a few, and a, quite a few of us, that I could actually stay on a box for eight seconds to get up at the same speed I could as normal setting down and getting up maybe a, a second rest. Right, and so... It we, stores. Right, so that's what it... But, but then since we know that it stores based off of that test, then we know that if we can create larger connective tissue, it'll be larger deformation, which will create larger reformation, which makes people stronger. And that's the thing, too, that, that, that that's, what, that's what athletics really is all about, right, is connective tissue. Every, like, even in football, when you think about someone hitting somebody, right, you're getting they're hitting that person, but there's a force coming back into them. So it's how strong is their connective tissue to break that person's force and go through them. Right. You know, and uh, with the fast eccentrics, as you go down and come back up, like what we were talking about in running, but also if I took a ball and when I use this amazing amount, I sit on the box, if I could hold that ball down and with deformation, I flatten the ball out and then slide my hands off, it'll jump up at the same rate of speed. And exactly how I got up at the same rate of speed. The deformation retained in my body, and then when I, I could explode upwards after eight seconds. Right. And everybody says, well, what's that got to do with anything? How about long snaps in football? Now, you, in the football, pro football now, everybody's changing the count at the line. Everybody's changing the play, changing the play. So the linemen are down there forever, and they lose their stretch reflex. This will help maintain that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that means there's a huge importance on kinetic energy. 
kind of kind of stored in the bottom. And I think a lot of people who come out to this hopefully talk about the, the virtual force effect, but there's forces there that we don't see. And kinetic energy is a force that's there, but just because you can't see it in training, it's what your body goes through. And I think that's a thing that people need to know a whole lot more about. Well, you know, I read super training, uh, you know, for years, and then I started doing seminars in Melville super training. But it talked about kinetic energy, and I go, well, what's kinetic energy got to do with anything? But I thought, well, if it does, how can I increase kinetic energy? And how do you increase kinetic energy? By adding velocity, not mass. So I, so how do I do that? I use that with the bands, exactly like shooting the slingshot down we are talking about before. Yeah, and see, that's what I found interesting, too, uh, in the one article that I wrote, you know, I referenced Mel Siff where he said that connective, ter connective tissue hypertrophy is three to four months slower than uh, skeletal muscle tissue. But the issue was, like I had asked you, is when was that study performed? Right. Right. Was it performed before bands? And are we, because I don't see anything in there where they're doing over, they credit you for for the first one to put bands over bars, but I don't see anything from uh, any long-term studies on overspeed eccentrics what? and whether or not it, it, it actually trains the connective tissue. Unfortunately, Dr. Sip died, <laughs> and he was going to do studies here with me at Westside, and, uh, but he died. So uh, and I've never got another professor to come here and do things. There should be professors coming to Westside Barbell. You know, when you look at any type of technology, auto racing or anything, car technology comes from race cars. It did not come from a pinto. You, you, uh, race cars had power steering, power brakes, roll cages, seat belts, helmets, and so forth. Then it filtered down into the everyday cars. That's why today's cars are as safe as they are, because of the technology behind race cars. And um, so if you want to learn how to really lift or how to be strong or how to be fast, you need to go to the strongest people in the world or the fastest people. And in my opinion, a strength coach is not a strength coach, just as he has made someone extremely strong or extremely fast. If not, he's just a maintenance worker. There's a million coaches, but very few teachers. That's true, we see that every day here. Yes, we certainly do. Oh, what do we hear, Tom? What do we hear we need? Recruit, recruit, recruit. How about making an athlete for a change? In, in a, in a 20, in a, within a 20 mile radius of this gym as we set, I have developed 14 men that have held world records. Is that a, is that a, um, a coincidence or a system? I'd like to think it's a system. I'm not counting the females. Yeah. Uh, and there's 10 women's powerlifting weight classes, and this gym holds five of the total records. Five out of 10. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a system, it's a training system, like the Jamaicans. Is there secrets in Jamaica? No, there's a system in Jamaica. You can, they can make up everything you want. Every, it's always going to be drugs, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. No, it's a system, they're smarter than we are. So, you know, and whenever we, we get our head out of our peripheral ass and figure out and watch the greatest lifters and learn from them, that's all I ever do. I watch groups in my gym, I watch two groups. I watch one of them will fail doing something week after week and I watch the ones that succeed. I eliminate the failures and I use the successes. But that's application. Yeah, so Tom, is, uh, Tom Barry's noticed uh, after being here for quite some time that the, our training is very similar to uh, Jamaican track, Chinese weightlifting. <laughs> there's a reason because there's only one way, to, there's two ways to train, the right way and the wrong way, and we've come up with the right way. And now it's filtered throughout the, the world. A lot of people, when they think of what's that they think of powerlifting. Well, you're talking 5%, talking 95% sports now. Yeah. yeah, and I think like we had talked about that before that there's a cognitive bias that West Side is just powerlifting, where West Side is strength and strength is all sports, right? And that's the issue that, that you know you guys see here all the time is you have a strength coach that's not focused on strength, right? But if you have a stronger athlete, less prone to injury, put more force into the ground, therefore run faster, jump higher, etc. Right? They everyone's focused on all these other gimmicks, and, yeah. but I think a lot of that is based on the fact uh, that from everything that I've learned here is like, um, and then with my education in the Gray Institute, uh, they, the Gray Institute, uh, which is uh, on functional movement, teaches a PST process, which is principles, develop strategies, which develop techniques. I think here in the United States, we have a lot of techniques to get people strong, but they're, they don't understand the principles. Right, and with Westside, everything's developed in a principle of, of science, physics, right? Louis talked about science, he's talked about Dr. Romanoff, Dr. Schiff, right? These are all scientists, and they've developed the principles. Those principles were then applied 
And so that's, that's the difference is Louis applied the principles with success, right? And so, but he understands the principles. And then with Westside, right, you take those principles and you develop strategies for powerlifting and those strategies develop your techniques, right? But let's look at uh, like conjugate CrossFit and what Laura and Shane have done. They use the same Westside principles, but they change the strategy to CrossFit and they develop techniques and now look at how successful they are with Samantha Briggs who won the CrossFit Games. Right, it's the same thing over and over again, right? Butch Reynolds was here, right? So the principles, uh, Westside has principles that it follows and that's what makes it flexible to go, you know, we got Matt Brown here who's uh, Tom works with, right? And it's the same principles, but it's different strategies and techniques, but it's all the same principles. And people don't understand that Westside is science. Westside just happens to also be the best powerlifting gym and so it gets put into this box where, oh, well, that's powerlifting, so I'm going to disregard that. And I think that's the biggest mistake until people actually come here and actually see what's going on. And then they talk to you and, well, how can I apply this? And then you show them other strategies and techniques. That's when they can start to understand that, hey, you know, West Side isn't just powerlifting. West Side is strength, and strength is all sports. The stronger you are in every – I don't know a coach that wants a weaker athlete. Right, and so that should be the focus of everything, and that's the focus at Westside. That's the reason why the athletes that come here, no matter what it is, whether it's CrossFit or uh, MMA, right, they all succeed because it's all they they're doing principles, fundamental truths, right, and then they have their own strategies and techniques that they do. And we train strength in all three velocities, including zero velocity isometric, but we train in them all. You know, a lot of coaches do too much sport-specific exercises. It's proven that general exercise has no ill effect on technique or coordination. That's how you get athletes better. That's actually the foundation of the conjugate system, using exercises in similar nature to, to the exercise you're going to perform on, on a contest. But also, uh, it's all about everything. You know, uh, we're talking about eccentrics, but, you know, controlling volume and intensity is how you have to rotate them. The body runs in 21 to 23-day cycles. So you, uh, your training should be based the same way, 20 in a three-week cycle. Then you reverse and start over. And uh, if I want to work on speed, and I know speed is best trained to 75 to 85%, why would I use weights above it or below it? I would By Hill's equation of muscle contraction, I'd be wasting my time. So one day of work is dedicated, one day a week is dedicated to becoming faster. Set after set, the fastest man wins on that day with 70, 75, or 80 percent either bar weight or combination band intention. If I want to work explosive strength, 30 or 40 percent, the one that's the fastest on that day is the winner. Then max effort, the one that lifts the heaviest weight on that day is the winner. you got to break them up. You can only train one at one time. The brain does not comprehend two strengths at one time. Do not do complex training. It does not work for high-level athletes. I don't care about low-level athletes because low-level athletes have to do a rule of three. They have to do general preparation for three years, then decide if it can be this sport. Lots of people come here as Tom can tell you, want a power lift. They don't, they don't last a month. And we have to tell them to go back home. They don't have the ability to do it. Same, you know, and people talk to me, they couldn't ever get strong. I talked to them for years. And I, so I finally said to them, well, you know, I love basketball, but at five foot five, I'm not in the NBA. You know, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, if you want to be a sprinter, you have the right kind of muscle. Fire. You want to be a marathoner, you got to have the right kind of muscle. Fire. Great, the greatest long distance runners in the world have at least 70% slow twitch. The greatest sprinters in the world, like the Jamaicans, has roughly at least 70% fast twitch. And the ones in the middle become MMA fighters and sports like that, where you require endurance and speed and, and strength. I know it's off the subject, but absolute strength, we, like we all know, is the catalyst for every other strength. But what makes us different is we know that there's other strengths out there. Right. Like there's not just one type of strength. And to know your sport is to know your athlete, and to know your athlete is to know how to train them. And that's where I think we all succeed here. Because you talk about eccentrics, you go with anybody else, they cannot break down eccentrics like Louis can, like John can. Why? Because this is where, came from. This is where all the research went in, practical and theory, not just theory. And we have all these athletes come in and out, all different sports. We have interns come in and out. And just like we got, we kick out athletes here, we get interns. We had that one intern who wrote here for two months, didn't go anywhere. Well, maybe because he just didn't get the system. And um, right. it's, it's very hard to explain the system because we, we could talk about this for two weeks nonstop. It's so, there's so much stuff in there. Right. Um, but like you said, right, the system, where does it come from? 
Yeah. You know, to say that West Side doesn't work, a lot of it is the the research behind West Side is all the former Soviet Union. That's right. Those yeah. are all scientists, right? So now we go back to, uh, I mean, if you're going to say West Side doesn't work, let's go ahead and say that science isn't real, yeah. right? Because it's not like any of these studies that he's talking about are made up, yeah. right? Exactly. And then what happens is the results of these studies, then you take those, those are in science, those are laws, right? Yeah. Okay, and so what happens is that is the prince, that's what found, if you understand those, then you can, like Tom said, if you know your athlete, if you know the sport, et cetera, then, and you know the principles, then you can take those principles, develop a strategy for your athlete, and that strategy is what's gonna give you your techniques. That's the reason why when Matt Brown came here, and you start working with Matt Brown, he's skyrocketed, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a coincidence. You know what I mean? It, it's the same thing. It's the, these, these athletes that come here, it's not a coincidence that once they get here, right? But is it West Side or is it science? It's West Side being able to apply science. Yes, and Tom brought up a point a moment ago, or you did too, about you can't. Everything's based on absolute strength. It cannot be too strong. You can't be too rich. You can't be too beautiful. All right, you got to be the mo the best you can and as strong as you can. And people talk about this in a ball team. Well, why would I want my players to be stronger uh, at a certain point? <clears throat> well, here, if you train by our methods, and if you if you use a combination of bands for overspeed eccentrics and the barbell weight in the three wave is 50, 55, 60. If you look at one side of our gym with some females that can squat 400, their third week is using 240 pounds and, and bands. Uh, they're moving the bar 0.8 meters per second. You look at the other side, our weakest squatter we have in the gym squats 800. He's using 480 at 0.8 meters per second. Do you want that guy on your football team or you want the 240 pound? He's moving 480 twice at uh, twice the weight at the same speed as a former squatter. I'm taking the guy that can squat for you. And I never ever said, I've always said, Pro lineman should have the ability to squat seven. I never said I would squat him at seven. I would use 350 to 420, 50 to 60 percent with bands at 0.8 meters per second. They can produce 700 pounds of force. So they're getting, if they do five, even five, if he did 12 doubles every 40 seconds, they're producing 700 pounds of force. But yet, if they can only squat 700, you're only getting one exertion of 700 pounds. That's the key. So you don't understand. You've never been to West Side, so you don't understand West Side. You have to be here to understand it. And West Side is not stagnant. It constantly improves. I have to improve every day. We have to make the gym better. I'd like to touch back on the force, the, vir the virtual force effect. If we can touch on that and on ground force. I think ground force is a big thing that people do not understand is there. They, they, they take that for granted that the impact of the ground just but, yeah, and we're ground-based creatures. Yeah. Remember, I talked about um, Bolt and, and Gay in particular. They weigh about 220 pounds. Um, they could walk on thin ice if they, if he went across gently, but if he ran at full speed, they would go through thin ice. It's a force that's there but not recognized, like you say, virtual force, um, uh, because they're producing 1,000 pounds of force on each step. So how's that 1,000 pounds come? Overspeed eccentrics. If you put your feet down slowly, they only produce 220 pounds. But if you put your feet down at maximum speed, they're producing 1,000 pounds. It's, it's, it's really pretty simple. Yeah, I don't think people understand the role that connective tissue plays just in everyday walking, too. I mean, if you think, I mean, I always say, you know, because I, I treat people, right? And with marathon runners, right, normally they're not really very muscular, right? And, but the issues that they're always having is plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, patella tendonitis, IT band, everything is connective tissue related, right? That's because it's all recycled energy, right? You have gravity and ground reaction force. Newton's third law says every force has an equal and opposing force. So you put one foot down into the ground, it's gonna come back up at the same and equal time, right? Does that make sense? Exactly. So that's how fat people who are out of shape can run a 5K, right? But then what, what hurts? Achilles tendonitis, right? all the connective tissue. Well, John, uh, you brought up a point one day. You said you could, you know, I see a lot of athletes and large schools, uh, they have uneducated coaches. They're doing a lot of front squats. And so uh, the quad, they're building up the quadriceps. What do quadriceps do when you run? They break you, correct? Yeah, I mean, so, and, yeah, so, yeah, so I mean, I, I can't remember the book, but it's, I believe it's Born to Walk. They hook electrodes up. Right, and that's what they're showing is this ground reaction force, right? And basically, 
um, how every time you hit the ground, it's it's a lot of recycled energy, right? So I look at I look at connective tissue like uh, solar energy; it's reusable, right? I look at muscular energy like uh, the, the putting gas in a car; it's going to wear down, right? You only have so much of it. Okay, that's the reason why I think you can run such long distances because it's all you know. And these people, they're not eating this insane amount of food, right? But it's all recycled energy. Right, and they're just keeping it going. There's a difference, even if you're walking. So let's say you're grocery walking or you're out walking. When you're grocery walking, you're going to burn probably more calories because you got to stop, start, right. So you can't use this consistent recycled energy that you have. In America, it's normally considered proper to have 60% quadriceps strength, 40% hamstring. But I had a woman here called Laura Dodd, uh, world record corner squad, ran for athletes of the West and Ohio State. She was 60 hamstring, 40 quad. And, um, you know, so it, what happens, John, when you build up too much quadricep t tension, what happens to the hamstrings? Well, to answer your question, because I never did, right, the quadriceps become active basically when you, to, to start to <clears throat> decelerate your femur, right? So it's weird, you know, we think that quadriceps extend the knee, but they actually break the knee. So they're breaking the knee. So they would be a muscle that's gonna slow you down. You want muscles that are going to spring you forward. Which are what? Well, it's gonna be your, yeah. Calf and hamstring. Calf, hamstring, glute. Right, right. yeah. And hip, that's right. Yeah, so everything's posterior. That's what, and the bigger that <laughs> tissue is, the more you can load it, the more it propels you. Even though your study that you talked about was shown by walking, of course, this is slow motion. It's easy to think, see things in slow motion. In fast motion, it's hard to realize that your quadriceps break you, but they do. Right. And people have to understand why you have to be stronger to run. 90% of the effort to run down a track is vertically. Only 10% horizontally, because what it's human locomotion gets you down the track. Body lean. Uh, you have to have a strong torso to run, and you can't keep proper body for, uh, lean. That's what Bolt, in the very beginning, had to build his body up, because he would break his form down. That's why he had a hamstring injuries and lower back injuries. Once he built up his torso to maintain proper uh, center of mass and gravity, then he eliminated all these things, and he became the greatest runner of all time. Mm -hmm. um, so what you're saying is you can't do a thigh extension standing up. You can only do it setting down. Say that one more time. A thigh extension. You can't do a thigh extension standing up. It's a hip extension. Right. If someone was to walk with, you, you know, it would be very weird because they would kick their leg out, right? They would legitimately, their leg would come up, and then they would kick it out like they're kicking a soccer ball if the, the quads extended the knees in running, right? It would be like, I can't, it's going to be hard to do it without right. a video. But, yes, to answer your question, it slows the actual femur down. So you must build a massive calf and hamstring and glute strength and, and just minimal quadriceps strength because it breaks you Correct. and it slows you down. You said so the same about the Jamaicans, right? You read that? Exactly. Yeah. The Jamaicans, I mean, I think they're, you know, you know, it's a it's a genetic group, um, and also they're very relaxed people. They have no pressure on them. Obviously, they're out there playing games before they're in the Olympics. You know, right in front of the track, and that's where it's supposed to be. To to what's the name of the book? Uh, relax and win. Yeah. You must you must be relaxed to win in track. And uh, I think you'd be relaxed in everything. I don't see if tighter, fighters get tight. If the tighters fight, it gets knocked out. We can't be tight. People don't realize you lift heavy weights. Some of the muscles are relaxing and others are just held statically. So you just don't continuously lock your whole body up. So that's a good point I wanted to make, and I'm glad you helped me there, John, about why you don't you know, overextend or overtrain the quadriceps for sprinting. Right. And what protects it, the knee? What protects the it, knee? Hamstrings and calves? Right, hamstrings and calves. Thank you. Yeah, so exactly, and so that's the reason why like a machine like a reverse hyper or inverse curl is going to be so effective, right? Because it's building and emphasizing the posterior chain, which we know that if we can hypertrophy that, then what's going to happen is we can load it. And if we can load it, well, we can explode it. It makes me very aggravated to see, I think before the season started in the NFL, he had 17 uh, players out with ACL injuries. This is just phenomenally bad. Uh, I judge a strength coach in one way by their energy uh, injury rate on the team. High in energy uh, rate, bad coach. Right, well it's the same thing that I see. You know, when I deal with bodybuilders that, uh, that have uh, connective tissue type injuries, you know, a lot of people are gonna say, well rest it. Well, you know, uh, I'm not a believer in, in resting it. Um, uh, I think that you need to stress the tissue to get it to go, to, to get it to come back. And the thing is, 
that's another uh, that's another instance where you know some injuries you can't avoid. But guess what? If the athlete's stronger, you're avoiding a lot more injuries, especially with these non-contact ACL injuries where these guys can't even control their body. Right. Right. And they don't have the connective tissue. So what happens with an ACL injury is you know the femur is moving too fast over the tibia and they don't have the stability. Right. They have too much mobility, so they don't have enough strength to bring that back. And what happens? The ligament tears. Right. So it's it has really, to be an even match, right? Stability and mobility. Mobility and stability, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's inverse. I think one of the best things we do here, too, for um, is using the plyo swing, the reverse before swing mm -hmm. with the bands. That just when the, that shoots you down, as soon as you hit that platform, boom, up you go. Um, did you always use bands? When did you start using bands in that? Was that the idea of that? No, it was the idea. That's how I got my pad by applying bands for overspeed eccentrics. I had a ball player I trained him in high school college back and forth and in the NFL for five years and his name is um, Dave Cardella and he is uh, six foot seven 315 pound lineman he said that one of the best things he ever done when he was here was three sets of ten three times a week it made him very explosive and lineman had to have very fast feet you know and that's one thing he liked was the plow swing and plus uh, it's deceptive when you come down and land you're waiting for a big but it's not you you can Get that impact and reverse it back out. The opposite and equal effect. Uh, someone called Newton said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the cool part, too. You're talking about when they jump up off the plyo swing, yeah. like I think like Tim Tebow did a. Yeah. Or, right. Yeah. Right? On yeah, the I mean, NFL network chip. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the same thing, right? Where uh, you're, you're taking the, the, the system off the ground. So the body's coming off the ground. So, right? So now you're maximally loading it and exploding it, which is exactly what athletics are. I, I mean, it's actually impossible for you to do any athletic event where you don't have to first load the system and then explode it. Right? Yeah. It's just basic physics that if the system is stronger and bigger, we can load it more. If we can load it more, we can explode it more. If you put a force plate meter on the plyo swing force plate itself and you just exerted force but you didn't leave it, it only it, it would only rest your body weight. But once you push off and land, it can by the bands, it can rest your five times body weight. Just like a top sprinter. That's the key. Overspeed eccentrics. While we're on that, depth jumps, coaches get that ass backwards. They make these, we saw like 300 pound line, 300 pound athletes, jumping off a box, landing, going. They don't understand how much pressure is on those joints. That's why, like, Louis made a good point. We get way more out of jumping with weights onto a hike where there's no impact. But we got to recruit all that force to get off, rather than the exact opposite. And when people do depth jumps, some of them do them in a workout. They should be a workout themselves. That's what Vorkoshansky said. That's right. You have to eliminate some pulls and squats when you're doing depth jumps. And uh, I had a, a girl, I like to think, highly, highly uh, skilled and could go a long way. Went to university, no injuries at all, goes down, first shin splints, then shin fractures. Had her, uh, they had her jumping off a 36-inch box. This makes no sense. Like Tom said, if I was to take this bottle, I've got a bottle here, glass, and I drop it off a 36-inch box, it hits the ground, what's it do? It breaks. But it, and whatever force it, it, it impact in the ground that has, I use the opposite amount of force. It's called momentum in force, in, uh, uh, momentum Impulse. impulse. There's a formula for it. Look it up. It's in my books. Uh, so I apply that equal force off the ground and land on the box gently. I didn't break my bottle, and I'm not breaking my athletes. You know, remember, coaches, if the train you think your training is so good, you should do it right along with your athletes. I've done it along with my athletes for years. And these track coaches running, they forget uh, on the ground force. They forget how hard it is to go on a track. That's why the Jamaicans, when I read the stuff that you got me, they run on grass. They do stuff in sand. Why? Because there's less impact in the joints. Yeah, and it, it's it, going to deform. Yeah, that's right. right. And if you look at in Webster's Dictionary, what's the definition of a sprint? It's to run as fast as possible for a short distance. So it, when you train, when you run a long distances all the time, you build endurance. You're actually slowing your sprinters down. You don't need endurance to run a sprint. Now, that's, that was Charlie Francis's theory and the Jamaicans for the most part. Um, you know, because if you, we all know that even your top sprinters about 65 meters, that's the end of their acceleration phase. Then they maintain, then they slow. They'll maintain for 18, 18% uh, of 100 meters, then they decelerate for 12. Here, when I train sprinters, of course, 65% of our time we work on acceleration because that's what it says. And then the 18% maintenance, and the 
deceleration, we try to increase uh, the maintenance time and eliminate the deceleration time. Because at the end of a race, one man or woman at the end, it may appear that they're going faster to win the race, but in reality, everyone else is slowing down more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Deceleration. So learn to train by mathematics. Look at what really is a sprint and train that way. It doesn't do any good to go out and have your athletes do um, an an, um, you know, aerobic conditioning when they're in an anaerobic sport. And I think it's very important too in their in season that obviously they don't have to do maximum effort work, but by using bands and the dynamic effort with the repeated effort, they can maintain the volume and the force required to maintain the gains they got in their off season. And that's where coaches screw up too. They get, build up these athletes, build them up to be lucky, they overtrain them usually. But um, when they go back to the off season, they're starting from below scratch again. And that's, you're, you're fucking going in a circle, right? Right. You should come back uh, uh, better than you left. Yeah. Um, now everybody goes to start your year back over with accumulation phase, doing all type of stuff undirected to your sport. Then intensification, you eliminate some exercises and start to intensify your training toward whatever events you're in. Then transformation, you're a sprinter or a shot putter or whatever. And that's all they do. It's all a mistake. Remember what I said, and it's proven. General exercise has no ill effect on coordination, uh, speed, or um, technique. So you must use all those exercises to perfect sports. Um, in Olympic weightlifting, people don't understand. You, uh, the, you, a lot of lifts are spatial, spatial poles and exercise because it doesn't matter if the technique breaks down. But if you do the clean and jerk and snatch, technique breaks down very quickly. And if you break down the technique, you got bad technique. But it doesn't matter with spatial poles. So if you look at the lifters overseas, they do more spatial poles. That's why I've got a new book coming out on a, a strength manual for American weightlifters. Uh, and that's what I go into. And if you look at the Chinese, our training is almost identical. <clears throat> Mary, the weightlifting, why do you think that they do not use bands when they do cleans and pulls? Because they are uneducated. If they would just stop for one minute and, and, and listen to what we're trying to say or read a physics book, they'll understand you have to use bands because Olympic lifting in particular has very bad deceleration phase. You know, the most powerful point is at the top of the thighs. Look at, look at any book, and, that, and that's the position that produces a great amount of force. That's why everyone thinks Olympic lifting is so fast because of the second pole, or the Russian was called the explosive part. I mean, it's moving about 2.2 meters per second. Getting off the bar off the ground, it's about 1.2, 1.4. And uh, I had my, my powerlifters, one had 832 deadlift, one 804. They pulled 495, 1.2 meters per second. It's almost maybe too light for them. Uh, they could probably go right on up if they had tested. That's all they wanted to test them. They came here and tested us. Uh, it's just, a, it's a, it, they're stuck in their ways, you know, I don't know how to say it. I mean, it's, they've been bad for so long, and they, they, and a, they got a misconception in Olympic weightlifting. They think speed is more important than strength. Well, as funny thing, as weights grow heavier, they grow slower. So we look really good with lightweights. We look really bad with heavyweights because we can't move heavyweights because we can't move objects slow. So what does that mean? You have to increase your max strength. Yeah, and another thing that, I always think about is uh, I think it's in the bench press manual uh, where George Halbert said that he never uh, he never missed a bench press because he wasn't strong enough because he wasn't fast enough right and so that goes back to stretch reflex right all this other stuff right because if you can load the system then you can explode it it's just how long is the stretch reflex right is it four or five seconds how long is it do you know what I mean and, it, and then if it's not then you're starting to have to use only muscular force to overcome that load. Well, I noticed too here, I have a lot of weightlifters come in or you know, want to be weightlifters. And, and so I tell them to power clean. First thing you do, pick up the weight, hold it to the waist, drop it to a hang and do it. It's not a power clean. But when you drop a bar into the hang, um, ironically enough, you're supposed to hold it there for three or four seconds to take the stretch reflex away. That's why Chinese and Russians would mostly do poles in different positions off boxes. Yes, they did hand cleans, but they did most of them on boxes. That way you have no stretch reflex. But in America, the coaching is not what it should be, and they, mis they have a big misconception what a power clean is, let alone what a hand clean is. It's just, um, you know, I hope, to, I hope to maybe help this later on. I hope they'll accept my advice. You know, a guy, I, I, a guy was asking me, well, they've always said, how come? He said, a guy said, well, Louis Sims has never had a great weightlifter. And I said, that's right, near as anyone else in America. But I'd never had one. 
but I've had great Olympic gold medal sprinters, UFC heavyweight uh, champions, um, uh, you know, 140 all-time world records. And I, I told a gentleman once, I started out Olympic weightlifting, and then I went to my first power meet, and I never went back. This is 1966. But had I continued to Olympic lift, why would I not have the world's strongest Olympic weightlifting team? Look at freaking Paul Anderson. Look how strong he was. Right. Yes. And that, that's what blows me away is people have no idea about these people in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone thinks they're creating something new and they're creating nothing. But, yeah. The stronger strength, strength is no strength, there is nothing. If strength didn't work, guys, there wouldn't be weight classes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I think strength's pretty important. <laughs> Because a 123 can lift what a super heavyweight does, and they can. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.